Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. All right. It's time for a classic episode. We're uh, we're at a shindig. We're at a soiree. What's, what's the action? We're dropping some tabs. We're talking about revolutionary ideas, possibly brought to you by the CIA. Well, all right, man. Yeah, let's let's definitely do that. Let's drop in, tune out, and listen to this classic episode. Did the CIA invent counterculture? From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Hello and welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. Hippie is an establishment label for a profound invisible underground evolutionary process. For every visible hippie barefoot, beflowered, beaded, there are a thousand invisible members of the turned on underground. Persons whose lives are tuned in to their inner vision who are dropping out of the TV comedy of American life. That's a quote by Timothy Leary. I'm Ben. You're you. This is stuff they don't want you to know and what do you think gentlemen about the 1960s it was a wild heady time of free love 
Free parking? Free, I don't know. Yeah. You, it was easier to get validated, that's for sure. <laughs> the best music, I was, think, yeah, good, came good, out of the good, 60s. Good tunage. The yeah. Rolling Stones, the Beatles, the so Animals many. with Eric Burden. <laughs> yeah. The Zombies. Oh, man. How could we? We'd be remiss if we didn't mention the Zombies. Mm. There were a couple of political dynasties that came out of the 60s, at least, mm-hmm. that I was aware of. The Kennedys were the mm-hmm. big one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There were some drugs. A couple drugs. Yeah. A couple of the, the really good ones, right? Just about as much as you could fit in your fist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, you know, could fit onto a tiny piece of paper right. you put on your tongue, right? <laughs> uh, there were also proxy wars that were occurring in several different parts of uh, the globe mm-hmm. between the United States and other countries. Mm-hmm. Today, we are talking about the 1960s in the United States, one of the most culturally charged and powerful eras in this nation's history. And one could argue that we have sort of cycled back in a way to a similar uh, atmosphere now politically and culturally as the 1960s. We could talk about that more. But, you know, in terms of uh, revolution, the idea of, uh, you know, being opposed to the government and the government being, you know, starting another drug war and uh, trying to shut down uh, free speech, things like that. Mm-hmm. It's interesting parallel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the way that technology empowers and hinders that sort of revolution. But you're right. The more things change, dot, dot, dot ellipses i don't know why i said that like i was dramatic i'm just spelling out ellipses what we're talking about when we talk about these revolutionary attitudes uh in the 1960s and as noel said in the modern days we record this um we're talking about something called counterculture right a way of life and set of attitudes opposed to or at variance with the prevailing social norm and this could be any number of things. It doesn't have to be one particular. It doesn't have to be drugs. It doesn't have to be, um, what living off the grid or something yeah. like that, but it could be yeah. living off the grid is, um, what a militia, maybe mm-hmm. if you're in a, a group of people who have decided to pick up arms and, and defend maybe a small part of a rural area, maybe yeah, a yeah. city. I mean, you could counterculture is ultimately, uh, dependent upon what is normal in your global neck of the woods, right? Mm. If you're a uh, poncho person in an umbrella town, congratulations, you are the counterculture, at least when it rains. Stamped. Stamped. Right. And in the U.S., we uh, tend to use the term counterculture to describe the 60s in particular when, you know, these wild and crazy hippie kids were dropping out and tuning in and trying the drugs. And they were determined, hell bent for leather uh, to change the world through a uh, kind of a sort of a stoned version of just loving everything, just being one coming together over me. (laughs) right now sure Uh, and also you know becoming one with the universe or you know something um yeah i know uh, it's not really an unfair characterization but it's funny and we you know not entirely untrue yeah yeah i i would agree here's what started changing in the 1960s versus the 1940s and 1950s these long-held values and norms of behavior seemed to break down specifically and especially among the young. So we have the 
post-World War II society in the late 40s. It's booming in the 50s. You know, get your nuclear family, your 2.5 kids, maybe two cars. A dog and a half. (laughs) A dog and a half. And a lot of college... Nuclear family sounds dangerous. It was. It was at least frightening. It was originally, uh, before they knew about the health risk, it was called the radioactive family. And they were like, no, no, no. Like, why are the, why are the kids glowing like that? The atomic family came along, the hydrogen family. Oh guys, just a little FYI. Uh, Matt and Ben particularly are just, if they come off as a little bit, uh, punchy in this episode, it's cause they've been up all night, pulled an all nighter, uh, working on an amazing new video project that we will be shoving out into the world very soon and keeping you posted about. So keep an ear to the ground on that one. I'm super excited about it. How do you guys feel? I punchy, I guess, but also inspired. Good. Good. Moving on. Yeah. You guys, uh, you will enjoy it. Hopefully ladies and gentlemen, uh, and you will hopefully enjoy it ladies and gentlemen it does feature uh it does feature matt's video sorcery and noel brown on camera uh, and ben writing and narrating like that old school stuff they don't want you to know style oh yes we will see right well shake, oh, i've seen it shake the dust off you've seen it multiple yeah. times uh and speaking of fantastic segues Many college-aged uh, men and women became political activists at this time, right? They were the driving force behind uh, things like the civil rights movement and anti-war movements. Well, and these were times where, like, these efforts on behalf of young people felt like they actually had some potential for revolution and to change policy. For example, with the civil rights movement and protests and sit-ins, a lot of this sort of new left culture that was coming out um, of the colleges and universities really did have an impact and were a very visible part of some of these struggles. Right. Yes, that's what we are talking about. We'll explore that in a second with political activism uh, and we have to look at the other side of this, too, in two movements that are often lumped into each other. Uh, other young people simply, air quotes, dropped out and separated mm-hmm. themselves from mainstream culture uh, and just became, you know, like the kind of uh, what's the stereotype about hipsters in Williamsburg or whatever, which yeah. is not entirely fair, but also not entirely untrue. We can't really afford to be a hipster in Williamsburg and, and not do anything because it's really expensive there unless you have rich parents you ever heard the term trustafarians mm-hmm. yeah yep. that's a good one i like that one. but yeah they're they're dropping out ben so that uh, is it a way to just show that i'm not a part of this mainstream culture that i see around me i disagree with it and it, that's not me i'm not a part of your system man yeah exactly but at the same time kind of contributed to giving their generation a bad rap for not being participatory and literally just saying, nah, man, I'm done. I'm going to do my thing and you guys do you and mm-hmm. not never the twain shall meet. And um, it was that did not represent the entire generation, as we will discuss with uh, political activism, like and, was saying. Yeah. And a, a very important thing to note here as well is that attitudes toward sexual mores or gender dichotomies appeared to loosen um and women began to openly protest the traditional roles of of you are either a housewife or a mother. And that's that's it. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Uh, so now more than ever at this point in U.S. history, 
we're saying, oh, all these people are actually people. And there is a tension that occurs uh, because the post-World War II geopolitics blossomed into a full-on Cold War as the USSR and the U.S. both vied for global supremacy. As you mentioned earlier, Matt, this meant proxy wars, of which the most famous is the Vietnam War, uh, here in the States at least. We've touched on the Vietnam War in previous episodes, stuff they don't want you to know.com, where you can find every audio episode we've ever done, including that uh, the recent one about a band and soldiers. So for today, let's just say quick and dirty version, TLDR. The Vietnam War was tremendously unpopular for the public and tremendously supported by the establishment. And this divide led to massive protest. So here's the, the interesting thing, though. While I would say people today generally associate hippies, this this vision of a hippie with these protests, the Vietnam War protests, However, there's this vibrant community focusing on all kinds of issues, and they're called the New Left. And for a time, these people seem to be set to make some for real changes, as Noel said earlier. There, it, it seems as though it's viable. Like, it's going to happen. I think it's going to happen. It's not just some pie-in-the-sky thing where we imagine a better world. We're going to make it. So left-wing politics in the 60s uh, was attracting pretty much primarily middle-class college students. Um, there was an organization called the Students for a Democratic Society mm-hmm. uh, that was founded at the University of Michigan in 1960, and it acted as the organizational base for this new left movement. Um, and the term itself was actually coined in the group's sort of mission statement, the 1962 Port Huron Statement. Which version? Uh, well, actually, the uh, there. Uh, if you've seen The Big Lebowski, you'll remember a scene where the dude uh, brags that he was part of one of the organizing uh, members that wrote the Port Huron statement. He said, "But it, his was the uh, the much better first draft." Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. and uh, <laughs> I did a little research on that. Apparently, there was only one draft. But the dude abides yeah. just the same. You know, my parents told me a lot about the SDS growing up because they they went to Kent State University, as many of you listeners know. And they, uh, you know, at the time of the massacre, and they said the SDS, they were one of the main reasons that there was violence occurring just because everybody got so riled up by what was being said by that group in the writings. So what did the Port Huron statement say? Well, first of all, it criticized... Um, this lack of individual freedom, um, sort of like the idea of giving up your individual rights in order to be, you know, for the greater good. Uh, and also it criticized the power of bureaucracy, which in their view had ballooned out of control in government, uh, also in universities and especially corporations. Um, and it called for a participatory democracy. In other words, grassroots political activism yeah power to the people right exactly sounds like uh fairly recent protests in the early 2000s i'm talking about the occupy movement yeah yeah again like that's why i was saying i really feel kind of a kinship to this period we're talking about especially now with like the women's march and some of the big you know the, the occupy movement years ago but now especially it seems like we are really seeing this grassroots uprising of folks that are not happy with the state of government and corporations, especially with like Citizens United and corporations having more control and all this deregulation we're seeing. I really do feel like we're in an interesting uh, kind of circular thing mm-hmm. with, a, with a kinship with the 60s. And there are strange political bedfellows. One thing that's different, well, there are 
two primary things are different about this time. Uh, one is the spread of communicative technology, yep. which fundamentally changes the game. And the other is that, you know, Matt, you mentioned, uh, you alluded to the Occupy movement, but that if that were far left, then also there's the Tea Party movement, which is arguing uh, very surprisingly similar stuff, right? Mm-hmm. In terms of what they see as overreach of government control or the quote unquote system before opposition to the Vietnam war mushroomed. We're back in the sixties. Now uh, this organization, the SDS and others like it focused on student freedoms. You know, Sounds fighting, good. Yeah. Fighting dress codes, uh, fighting what they felt were unfair course requirements or discrimination by sororities and fraternities, uh, fighting for minority admissions, admissions to, you know, matriculating into, into college. The new left participated in these, uh, these enormous protests and sit-ins, and they were more and more often anti-war oriented. Also, it is important to note that associated groups protested for gender equality and gay rights and in you know in many cases uh in many cases the fight for gay rights was not as successful initially as some of the other things and now we get to hippies versus the anti-left <laughs> yeah <laughs> so like this new left group these hippies uh they have some stuff in common they're mostly middle class whites but they've uh they've switched out the political drive of the new left with oh i don't know what would you call it um the munchies oh god that's that's <laughs> not right that's uh, so wrong and that's not true uh just a more laid back approach to uh to the political dealings that are going on yeah man what's all this What's all this jive about you're on a really bad trip about geopolitics, <laughs> you know? Like, let's just listen to music. Have you ever really listened to music? Yeah. Here, let's play a clip from uh, an episode of Mr. Show that kind of gives us a sense of how the powers that be viewed the hippies. Mom! Dad! Look! It's a hippie! Careful, sissy. <laughs> Don't worry, Dad. Our hippies won't harass you or expose your children to any anti-authority lifestyles. Our hippies are the kind the whole family can enjoy. Hey, man, my name's Groovy Gravy, and I want to be your friend. Take my hair to a fun place where you won't have a care and all your friends will be there because you can ride all day in hippie land. Hippieland will feature several attractions, like Woodstock, the movie, The Ride, a three-day roller coaster ride featuring the original members of Sha Na Na. Goodbye, man. Bye. Goodbye, Groovy Gravy. Peace. Say, that hippie was all right. That hippie's all right with me. And that's the thing. It's like, you know, and this is going to get into our there, this is where it gets crazy bit that's coming, but the hippies were sort of this like neutered version of that political activist sector where, you know, you had the sense that they weren't really going to do anything. 
they weren't necessarily a threat uh, in terms of to the status quo from a government perspective. They just wanted to, like, have that free love, go to some music concerts, drop some acid and, and, and toke on some, some J's. But yeah. that's a different type of threat. Right. They wore jeans, tie dyed shirts, sandals, beards, long hair and a lifestyle to embrace sexual promiscuity and recreational drugs. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, hallucinogens, LSD being the most popular. Right. Uh, marijuana, you know, um, I, I, I imagine there was what cocaine in there. Quaaludes. Was that a thing? Oh, yeah. Uh, OK. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I wasn't there. You weren't there? I've, I've just seen Woodstock, the movie, the musical, the ride. Ride, yeah. Dot yeah. org. Uh, so, and this is, no, we're not, not trying to, obviously a lot of amazing art and amazing culture came out of the counterculture, the hippie movement. You know, you've got the Grateful Dead, you've got like bands from San Francisco, the psychedelic movement. I mean, it's an amazing source of art and culture. Um, and certainly there were folks that would kind of split the, the, the difference between being in the hippie scene and being sure. actually political actors. I'm not trying to say that hippies and the, um, new psychedelic left. new yeah. left movement were completely devoid of, of any kind of conviction and that there was an overlap because there certainly was, but we're just, we're kind of doing a little bit of a black and white thing here to show that there certainly was a divide, but then there's also a gray area. In between. Yeah. Yeah. There's no false dichotomy here, but the question is how did, uh, so earlier we said, uh, that there were, there were, there was this hippie movement, this hippie scene, if you will, or demographic that in many ways was different in comparison to the earlier, uh, social revolutionary affecting positive change, at least as they saw it, new left. So how did the hippies get on the scene? How did people largely from the same demographic move from protest, in other words, interacting with the outside world, to a more inward-gazing exploration of consciousness, of self-identification, and drugs? Well, guys, while we wait for the acid to kick in, why don't we take a quick sponsor break? Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. 
When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. All right, we're back. Oh, yeah. I feel like we were always here. We've always been here. We've always been here. The thing is, we can check out anytime we want. That's true. But we can never never leave. leave. (laughs) And as it turns out, you guys have never left. They've been here again since last night. Um, And that is how we roll. And what a fun episode to do on Zero Sleep. Yes, yes. And uh, the the question, it seems like so many years ago through the magic of editing that we were, we we launched into that first sponsor break and now we're back and the people, the folks, ladies and gentlemen listening now, you have no idea about the adventures that we went through. So much. So much so stuff. <laughs> I got a brand new phone because my other one broke. Yeah. And I'm glad my hand grew back. Oh, Finally. So the question that we asked so long ago was how how did this evolution, this differentiation occur? The first and most obvious answer, of course, would be something along the lines of, well, guys, people are all different and all like different things, even if they're from the exact same demographic. If we interviewed every 28-year-old Han Chinese male living in Shanghai, then guess what? They're not going to agree on everything, even though they're from the same place. They're the same age, same gender, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So then the protest of the early 1960s became subsumed by a hippie movement, which led to the increasingly self-centered zeitgeist of the 1970s. And maybe that's just how things happen. Maybe people are just different. Maybe attitudes change. But what if somebody orchestrated this change? What if somebody... There was a puppet master at work pulling the strings in order to suck the wind out 
of this revolutionary way of thinking. What if that was mm, push them away wow. from the left? Wow, these these guys are like flipping out. Yeah, out there. I know. Yeah, give me a second. Yeah, sorry. Hey fellas, we're <laughs> <Stay> recording. <laughs> we're leaving that in. The whole video team has been here all night, and they're outside having a full-on freak-out meltdown right now. We're freaking out, man. We we'll we'll get into what that is in in the plug section. For now, let's get back to the to the left, to the nitty gritty. Here's where it gets crazy. What if there was no organic evolution of this culture? What if instead this growth was influenced, manipulated? perhaps even controlled by an organized and hidden force. Who would it be? Who could it be Ooh. now? Maybe the CIA. That's right. According to several conspiracy theorists and various authors, the counterculture movement in the United States was co-opted by none other than the CIA. You know the CIA is fake news, right? I, I, I've heard it's, a, uh, it's an alternative intelligence. But they're the centralized central intelligence agency. Whatever. Like all of it goes towards them. Doesn't matter. No matter what direction it's coming from. Dewey! Is there a DIA, a decentralized intelligence agency? <laughs> Ooh. Look, at first, yes, this might sound insane. Why the hell would the CIA care about this sort of thing? You know why they care if people have long hair and wear jeans. Whatever. The, the money still spends the same and the books still burn at the same rate when you apply heat. That's a good point. I don't know. It, it, to me, it seems like it gave them a target, a subject of ridicule and a way to sort of take the wind out of the sails of a potential political uprising. Any challenge to the status quo, you know, and if you point to the hippie movement and say, look, look, look at the, this is all we got. This hippie thing like this is a, this is laughable. There's no threat there. Yeah, this was. If you look at the history of what the CIA has done in the past that we've covered on this show numerous times in all kinds of different ways, MK Ultra, the experiments with LSD that they did on unsuspecting people to see how it would affect consciousness in a way and to see if it could make someone more susceptible to being tortured or, you know, not tortured, but giving information up. Mm -hmm. If you're all wonky on the, what, it's not the sauce, it's the, it's a, the SID, mind the sauce. acid. I don't know if there's mind. a word for it. Mind sauce? Mind sauce. Mind uh, sauce, I think, is the correct. Oh, excellent. Excellent. We also see the CIA practicing extraordinary rendition where you sweep someone away to a black site and they just don't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe those black sites, maybe they don't exist. Maybe they still do. I think uh, whether whatever the reality on the ground is, the official U.S. position would be that they do not exist. But you're absolutely right. And then there's also the CIA engages in propaganda and foreign regime mm -hmm. change occasionally with the use of, quote unquote, student groups and assets in nonprofit organizations. These are not none. None of the things that Matt just named are theories. Right. No. Right. The, these all actually happened. And we can look at the CIA experiments with LSD during the 50s, 1950s, that is. Uh, unless the CIA is much older 
than Noel, Matt, and I know, uh, they conducted experiments with LSD, just as Matt said. They wanted to evaluate whether it could be used as a truth serum or a brainwashing agent in interrogations, and they also wanted to see if they could weaponize it. Mm-hmm. This all began to come to light with the formation of the Rockefeller Commission, and that's how the U.S. public and Congress learned about some of the more bizarre experiments that the CIA did. It's got an incredible name, Noel. Midnight Climax. Ooh! <laughs> Is that like ribbed for her pleasure? <laughs> I, no, they're really not specifying, you know, what ki- what type of climax is occurring? Who knows? Just just more the time. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That word climax, though, it, it can never not be naughty. Yeah, you know? I, I I can't even to to refer to like the thing that happens at the end of a movie. I I will just say, you know, the finale. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Midnight climax did involve you know a, a sexual aspect, right? Mm. Uh, it was an operation that paid prostitutes in San Francisco and New York to dose unsuspecting Johns with LSD and then get them lured to a CIA safe house. And then the agents, the CIA agents will watch and film these, uh, these sex workers with their clients from behind a, you know, a mirror. Seems, um, <clears throat> trying to figure out the value for this besides possible blackmail. I don't understand what the value would be. Uh, you know, just to have, it's just sort of cool to have secrets. Just a collection. <laughs> no, <I'm kidding. laughs> a collection of secrets. Uh, and then there was another LSD-related scandal. The commission uncovered uh, it was the 1953 death of a biological warfare specialist named Frank Olson. Mm. He defenestrated. I never get to use this Ooh. word. Defenestrated, knocked out of a window. Mm. Yeah. And for some reason, no one fenestrates. I don't know. Sometimes. Even just saying that, that's like saying climax. <laughs> Superman could do it. Superman, yeah, could totally do it. It's really hard. Like, you know, us mere mortals, we can go out of a window, but if it's high up, it's like, you know, we need a ladder, and then it's just called climbing a ladder. Yeah. yeah. So, you know. Well, maybe we should get capes. We should get stuff they don't want you to know capes. Oh, man. Oh, God, not to derail things too much, but you know what movie is on uh, Netflix now? My favorite mystery science theater episode, Manos, The Hands of Fate, featuring the goat man, Torgo, and the master. And he has this amazing cape with red hands on it. And I'm sorry, I'm I'm done. Yeah, that definitely doesn't derail things, Noel. No, well, it makes it makes sense. <laughs> it makes sense though if we're if we're talking about LSD. Oh, right? okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fits. You know who my favorite LSD researcher was? John C. Lilly, who uh, would regularly take doses of LSD in the early 60s when he was introduced to it. And uh, then he would put himself in these sensory deprivation tanks. No. Can you imagine? Um, and he also was big on dolphin research, and he would often take LSD and hang out with dolphins. And then his research over time developed into much more dolphin-centric work where he was trying to communicate, uh, communicate right? with dolphins, felt like they had some sort of psychic abilities that could be exploited by being on LSD. It allowed you to kind of reach that level and then you know have um, psychic conversations with these dolphins. And he even had an experiment where he flooded uh, a building and had a woman, a uh, research assistant, I suppose you could say, live with a dolphin in this flooded apartment and uh, over time uh, developed something of a, let's say, 
inappropriate, inappropriate relationship. relationship with with said dolphin. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so it was the Wild West. Is yeah, the point. yeah. And longtime listeners, you recognize some of uh, some of that story from previous episodes where the uh, the thing was was the dolphin actually communicating, or was the dolphin simply taking indecent proposal style rewards? For Ooh. certain behaviors, you know? Quid gotcha. pro quo, Clarice. <laughs> <laughs> if only one of us could make the dolphin noise. <laughs> no, wow. That's not. That was pretty good. It has to be higher. No, no, no. We'll higher. Well, that no, was, fine. we'll pitch it up in post. Yeah, that was like a Tom Waits dolphin. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, so Frank Olson, getting back to Frank Olson, uh, defenestrated. Did he jump out of the window of his New York hotel room uh, about a week and a half after his drink had been spiked with LSD at a work retreat? by his co-workers or was he pushed when the real cause of frank olson's death was finally made public by the rockefeller commission in 1975 it was a public relations nightmare for the ford administration and they selected a guy to run damage control on this issue you might recognize him his name was dick cheney (gasps) So he did damage control on this, and then eventually they issued, the U.S. government issued an apology to Frank Olson's widow. But the death of uh, Agent Olson, Frank Olson, and the discovery of things like Operation Midnight Climax easily overshadowed most of the other, uh, most of the other things we found out about Project MK Ultra. But another relevant finding was this. The CIA had funded academic research into LSD, like a lot, Mm -hmm. before the drug was criminalized in 1966. Oh, yes. And some of these academics working on LSD research knowingly took money from the Central Intelligence Agency to do this stuff. Uh, A lot of others had CIA money indirectly funneled to them. And, you know, maybe they didn't even know that this was happening, but still, that's what's funding their research. Um, cause there are all these front groups that the CIA uses. We've discussed these before. The FBI does it too. Any intelligence agency uses a front group. It's a, a front company. It's a very handy thing. Yeah. Like the, the general rule of thumb here is at least what the three of us have discovered is that the more vague a group's name is, the more likely mm-hmm. they are a front for something. You know what I mean? Or just, yeah, vanilla. So it just feels very yeah. just. If there's, yeah, like if there's, and I, I'm making this up. So any resemblance to a real thing is purely incidental. But like, if we met a representative that was like people for ideas, is that think tank? (laughs) I know that's sketchy, huh? I'd be shivers. You know, people have all kinds of ideas and they're all kinds of people. I mean, be specific for ideas and things. Right. Other researchers who I, I, people for ideas and things. That's our, watch out, Rand Corporation. There's a new guy in town. Uh, other researchers who did scientific experiments with LSD did not have any funding from the CIA, mm-hmm. but the, uh, the company might send a covert agent to keep track of any interesting findings. So, you know, Hi, my name's John Smith. I'm the new lab tech. I'm from people from, and things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I uh, I went to Anywhere University uh, in Nowheresville, USA. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right near America Town. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, what's going on with these acids? <laughs> 
Right. That I mean, it's spot on. That's that's what happened, and, and this kind of stuff can still happen today. For people who believe the CIA created or co-opted the American counterculture movement, the experiments that occurred in the 1950s naturally evolved into programs during the 60s to, uh, as we mentioned earlier, neutralize that threat of social activism by turning the activists into, you know, peace and love oriented hippies. And, and then to me, I wonder if this was the case. Was it more about the perception as well? You know what I mean? Where it's like, if they're not taken seriously, it sort of neuters them a little bit in terms of like actually affecting change. Getting other people to believe. Getting other people to sign on for their cause. And, you know, obviously the, you know, like we said, there was definitely um, a connection between the political activist scene and the counterculture, you know, psychedelic hippie movement for sure. But visually, like uh, from a PR standpoint, it's very easy for those in power and people supporting those in power to view this group negatively in, in a way where it's like, you know, I am I, not threatened by them. I just kind of feel like they're lazy, shiftless, do nothings that, that mean that have no impact. You're not going to change the world in a pair of blue jean trousers. I'm going to try. And we'll have to see how that how that hippie's journey turns out after a word from our sponsor. It's not going to go well. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Blue jeans, baby queen. Prettiest little bottom, beam. Baby queen? Baby queens. All right. It's like, uh, you know, the band. toddlers in Sierra. Oh, oh, yeah. oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. That is like honey boo boo. Freddie Mercury as a baby. Well, that is as you can tell, the drugs have kicked in. <laughs> um yeah. we are now in bat country. Ah, uh, yes. And we are still looking for evidence about this idea, right? Uh one of the biggest pieces of evidence for people who believe that the CIA masterminded or puppeteered uh a shift in counterculture is the idea that Timothy Leary, whom we quoted at the top of the show, was himself a CIA asset. What? Yes. Uh, writer Mark Reebling asked Timothy Leary about this in 1994 after Leary gave a speech in Gainesville, Florida. And Leary said, They never gave me a dime. But here's the thing. In fact, he did get money. From the Central Intelligence Agency, he didn't get very much, but he did get he got some uh, some scratch, mm-hmm. some cheddar, some moolah. I'm just going to choose words for money now. Skrilla, some skrilla. Skrilla is good. Mm. Some wampum. Yeah. So uh, while Leary perhaps didn't know that he had been a willing CIA temporary agent, a stooge. Yeah. Well, the agency or the company, Ben, as you uh, call them before, I love calling them the company. Oh, that's uh, their term. I, I know, but it just calling it that is quite fun. I'm a company man. Uh, <laughs> they, they tend to promote people who, who truly believe in a cause, but are unaware perhaps of what, they're really advancing what the left hand is truly doing while the right hand toils away over here. Yes. Yes. So that's a great point because we know that in some foreign countries where intelligence agencies, and I know we're picking on the CIA right now, but intelligence agencies in general will Mm -hmm. have these kind of covert practices. Imagine, uh, you know, a, a developing country or, some sort of unstable regime, right? And your student protest group and somebody comes up and says, yeah, I also believe in the cause, mm-hmm. right? Forget the monarchy or forget the um, theocracy or whatever the current flavor of democracy is. Here's some funding. And by the way, let me teach you about protest techniques. You could totally think that was just someone who knew their stuff. Yeah. I like pistachio democracy. Pistachio democracy is a great democracy flavor i would put it up there you know in the top three so 
this, uh, as Matt said, someone could completely believe in a cause, find help from a, um, a well-dressed stranger, right? Well-spoken Ooh. stranger mm-hmm. and not have any idea what that, that person's ultimate motivations were. So funds for Leary's research and drugs, the material for it came from the CIA. And he has an autobiography, Leary does, it's called Flashbacks. It was published in 1983. In that, he credits a guy named Cord Meyer, the CIA executive in charge of funding uh, the counterculture with, quote, helping me to understand my political, cultural role more clearly. And he goes on, uh, he says, the liberal CIA is, get this guys, the best mafia you can deal with in the 20th century, which is, which is weird. To hear the guy, the the uh, dropout, tune in guy, mm-hmm. best like how? I don't is, better than like the Sopranos, like like that kind of mafia. What are we talking? Yeah, I guess so. More I, efficient, less likely to break your legs. I don't understand. I don't know. Yeah, I, I guess he just got along with him. Yeah, okay. I guess they were just maybe they just didn't shake him down for uh, his debts at the dog track. I'm they, kidding. They, they, they probably kept him, you know, in acid. I'm sure that, you know what? That's a good point. And that makes me think of that, uh, Owlsley fellow as well. So other vanguards of the LSD movement, including Allen Ginsberg, certainly believe that the CIA played more than a cameo part in this culture jamming. Right. So the first major public statements in the seventies by countercultural figures, um, to actually speculate on the relationship between the CIA and LSD happened on October 1977, uh, at a conference at the University of California in Santa Cruz that was called LSD a generation later, sort of a postmortem. Um, Allen Ginsberg, who compared the conference to an acid head class reunion, uh, said, quote, am I, Allen Ginsberg, the product of one of the CIA's lamentable, ill-advised or triumphantly successful experiments in mind control? Had they, by conscious plan or inadvertent Pandora's box, let loose the whole LSD fad on the U.S.? And the world. Mm, things that make you go, hmm. That's right. And Timothy Leary was also at the conference. He addressed questions about the LSD CIA issue. And he said the LSD movement was started by the CIA. The CIA. Hey, can I do a voice? Yeah. Please. Okay. And he said the LSD movement was started by the CIA. I wouldn't be here now without the foresight of the CIA scientists. It was no accident. It was all planned and scripted by the Central Intelligence Agency, and I'm all in favor of Central Intelligence. Is that like a Sean Connery voice? It's Sean Connerish, <laughs> is what I'm calling it, because, you know, I'm not doing the whole... I'm, I'm not quite going all the way there. Okay, first of all, I love Sean Connerish. That should be a thing. And I want to take this opportunity to announce a new word that I have coined um, for uh, addressing things that are going on in the news right now. And it is hilarifying. Oh, oh that is quite a portmanteau, Noel. Well done. Just I had to lay it down on some media so mm. that I can, you know, claim you were on the record, my friend. Thank Hilarifying. Thank uh, ladies and gentlemen, please use that whenever you find it appropriate, but do credit Noel Brown. It appears that that term was used during the Hillary Clinton campaign as Hillaryifying. 
No, I feel like, like hilarifying really, is different. No, hilarifying is totally different. Yeah. I just, when I typed it in, it's all. So when you, when you Hillaryify something, yes. it's like bedazzling <laughs> it. Yep. So there's, there's another interesting part here, uh, a hilarifying aspect to this guy. That is really yeah, good, really man. Good, I'm dude. still on that. That's awesome. I'm on that trip, as Ken Kesey would say. Uh, in 1979, guy named John Marks, uh, a former foreign service officer published a book called the search for the Manchurian candidate. And he looked at all the different ways this agency attempted to control the human mind for the purposes of espionage. And just for the record running on pretty much no sleep makes saying former foreign service officer pretty tough. (laughs) You do it with a plum. (laughs) Thank you. I feel like I'm doing it very carefully, very rural jurorly. Um You did it deep in your plums. <laughs> what? Oh, you can have that. In a chapter uh, covering the CIA's interest and in experiments with LSD, Marx writes, CIA officials never meant that the likes of Leary, Kesey, and Ginsburg should be turned on. Yet these men were. And they, along with many of the lesser-known experimental subjects like Harvard's Ralph Bloom, created the climate whereby LSD escaped the government's control and became available by the early 60s on the black market. No one at the agency apparently foresaw that young Americans would voluntarily take this drug, whether for consciousness expansion or recreational purposes. The MK Ultra experts were mainly on a control trip, and they proved incapable of gaining insight from their own LSD experiences of how others less fixated on making people do their bidding would react to the drug. So, that's going to Marx. What, what we're finding is that the CIA did indeed finance hundreds of experiments into LSD, and maybe even more, but what happened is that they couldn't control the supply. I mean, think about it. They're, they're in all the, they're in multiple college campuses, universities, right? Mm-hmm. And they have, uh, supplies of this hallucinogen. Left, right, north, south, east, west. Ken Kesey was a janitor. That yeah. one. That, and he had access to it. And you're, you're telling me that guy didn't walk away sweetening the pot. Do you guys remember that movie Half Baked? Abracadabra B. <laughs> Abracadabra. Yes, Cuban B. <laughs> Which that line still doesn't make sense to me. It haunts me at night. But in there, you know, uh, David, Dave Chappelle plays a janitor at mm. a, uh, or, yeah, a janitor. Dispensary or like, what do they have? Like some kind was, of lab? It was, it was totally pre-medical marijuana to that movie. So yeah, I'm so. confused about why they had, was it a research facility of some kind? It was definitely, I, I think the, I, somebody check us on this, but I, I feel like the furthest they went was, you know, here's a lab. Right. I think so. <laughs> I yeah. don't know if they explained what I their remember, research was. I remember they had all of the Maui Wowie. That's, I remember that was a thing. <laughs> yeah. Right. I totally didn't understand a lot of that movie when I first saw it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's like when I saw Pulp Fiction when I was 12 and that whole scene with, uh, uh, Uma Thurman, where she o- overdoses or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't understand the logistics of that, the distinction between what she thought that thing was and what it actually was. Right. I know we're, we're a family show. I'm not going to get into it too much, but yeah. Uh, yeah. 
kids don't don't see weird R-rated movies about drugs when you're when you're young. They yeah, I, th- I I was like, up. I remember thinking she is unwell, and then thinking, what a spoiler, uh, and then thinking like, is she a vampire? Why mm. did he? Why did he stab her in the chest? Here are our conclusions. One thing we have to note is that it is important to to recognize that the U.S. counterculture at this time was probably no more than 10% of the youth pop, uh, you know, like the youth population mm-hmm. or that demographic. Uh, like, like Noel said, they're just more visible, right? And this is something we see, speaking of cycles, this is something we see in mass media today. The, the more, uh, visibly distinct people will be, you know, the things that make good optics or good television. Uh, even if that's just one out of a hundred people, you're going to focus on that person. It also seems that the CIA did have a powerful role in the emergence of counterculture, but it might not have been so much a, a grand puppeteering plan as it was a series of whoops. Eek. <laughs> My bads, you know, and unintended consequences. This, this goes to the idea of whether or not, and you know, there's this disconnect that occurs sometimes because the idea of whether or not this agency is capable of perpetrating something like that, right? It's, it's a strange and contradictory thing that occurs sometimes where, you know, you'll hear people say that a government or an organization is inefficient and a bunch of uh dunderheads doofuses but then also somehow capable of duping hundreds of millions of people you know those that's a, it's a, its own sort of double think but one thing that keeps us from throwing out this idea entirely is this it turns out the central intelligence agency of the US is absolutely capable of using culture as a weapon and furthermore has no compunction whatsoever about doing so. So as the Guardian reports, the CIA, quote, used American modern art, including the works of such artists as Jackson Pollock, Robert Motherwell, Willem de Kooning, uh, and uh, also Mark Rothko as a weapon in the Cold War in the manner of a Renaissance prince. Uh, except that it acted secretly. The CIA fostered and promoted American abstract expressionist painting around the world for more than 20 years. So uh, why did the CIA support them? Because in the propaganda war with the Soviet Union, this new artistic movement could be held up as proof of the creativity, the intellectual freedom, and the cultural power of the U.S. Uh, Russian art strapped into the communist ideological straitjacket could not compete. That is a continuation of the quote. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a long one. You want to? You want to? Oh, sure, up? sure. Yeah, the decision to include culture and art in the U.S. Cold War arsenal was taken as soon as the CIA was officially founded in 1947. They were dismayed at the appeal communism still had for a lot of intellectuals and artists in the West, and the agency set up a division called the Propaganda Assets. Inventory or the PAI, and at its peak, it could influence more than 800 newspapers, magazines, and public information organizations. They joked that it was like a Wurlitzer jukebox. When the CIA pushed a button, it could hear whatever tune it wanted playing across the world. So the big question 
goes beyond just this, this historical aspect. The big question is not just whether the CIA actively neutralized social activism via cultural influence in the 1960s. Instead, the big question is this. What is the CIA messing with culture-wise today? And does it affect you? And how would you, how would you decipher if it is in fact happening to you right now? How could you tell? You have to tell me if you're a cop, right, Matt? I'm definitely not a cop. <laughs> That's also a myth, by the way, folks. Totally. <laughs> I've tried it. <laughs> Does not work. So <laughs> went to jail. Kidding. Kind of. Words. Sounds. Speaking. Colors. Marshmallows! All of which means that we hope you enjoyed our exploration of the CIA's role in the course of culture, the evolution, the social dynamics upon which so much of history hinges in this country. And uh, we would like to thank uh, our friend Henry H., who suggested this topic for us, along with a couple of other topics. We're going to follow up with some stuff that that uh that Henry hipped us to. And speaking of our fantastic listeners, it sounds like it's time for Shout Out Corners. I'm gonna swoop in here, guys, and do one uh from Rich. Um he wrote an email, uh hello S T D W I T K. Love the show. Uh I answered your question about a million terabytes and threw in a little extra about recording phone calls in this document. And then he attached a PDF that reads as follows. I'm an electrical engineering student, and I'm writing you uh, in regards to the question about what a million terabytes is called. A million terabytes is an exabyte. And he gives us this helpful chart. One terabyte is a billion bytes, and then one kilobyte is a thousand bytes. One terabyte times one kilobyte equals one exabyte. Fun idea. One telephone call is 64 kbps, which is kilobytes per second. Eight bits equals one byte. One exabyte is one times 10 to the 18th bytes. Eight E one eight bits equals one exabyte. And then he's got some figures here. It's a little over my head, but thank you for the thoroughness in your uh, explanation of a uh, million terabytes. As it turns out, it is not a bagel bite. Um, nope. No, but that would be cool. Um, and then he goes on to uh, say, in February of 2012, Utah Governor Gary H. Herbert revealed that the Utah Data Center would be the first, quote, facility in the world expected to gather and house a Yottabyte. Yotta bite. A yotta Um Since then, conflicting media reports have also estimated our storage capacity in terms of zettabytes and exabytes. While the actual capacity is classified for national security reasons, we can say this. The Utah Data Center was built with future expansion in mind, and the ultimate capacity will definitely be a lot of bites. Oh, oh Rich. Slow clap. <laughs> Love wow. that one. Love that one. Thank you so much, Rich, for the info and for the insight. Yeah, that was really great, Rich. Uh, you lost me at Exabyte, but, you know, it's all good. It was really – I enjoyed it. When I hear numbers like that, uh huh, my brain doesn't function in that way. It just kind of goes, boom. It seriously <laughs> does. That was a good sound. 
And our next shout out, uh, goes to Jessica P. Jessica writes in and says, uh, hi guys. I found and started listening to your podcast about two weeks ago while looking for something both interesting and informative to listen to on my long commutes to work. I spend about three hours in the car each day. Oof, yeah, that's a rough one. Uh, Thanks so much for the work you put into these audio video series. They've certainly made my commute more enjoyable. Secondly, have you guys ever done anything on spontaneous human combustion? Hmm. This one's near and dear to me as I vividly remember having seen a documentary on it as a kid and subsequently spending the next five to ten years in fear of suddenly catching on fire. Anytime I would feel inexplicable centralized warmth on any of my appendages, usually an arm, I'd rush to the sink and start soaking the affected area in cold water. Just to put it out preemptively i guess to combat what i was sure was the start of my fiery demise you'll be happy to hear that i grew out of that fear but i'd love to hear what you guys have to say about it if you've already got stuff up and i missed it please shoot me a link thanks again i look forward to more hours of hearing about the stuff they don't want me to know spontaneous human combustion you know that made me think of a thing that i heard on npr this weekend on on, uh, i believe it was um wait wait don't tell me uh, it was about a uh, it was a news story wherein a Florida lawyer and I'm going to read this from the article that I just pulled up. Uh, this is from the uh, Syracuse.com. The headline is lawyers pants catch fire during Miami arson case. <laughs> uh, so let's see. Um, as a Florida lawyer argued in a court case on Wednesday that his client's car spontaneously burst into flames, his own pants caught on fire in front of the jury. During the argument, Stephen Gutierrez was fiddling in his pocket when smoke started billowing and he had to mm-hmm. rush out of the courtroom, reports the Miami Herald. Jurors were then escorted out and Gutierrez returned unharmed with a burnt pocket. Uh, as it turns out, it was a faulty e-cigarette. But how amazing is it that a lawyer... Mm-hmm. Arguing about a case about a car spontaneously combusting had their pants catch on fire. That's pretty fun. Liar, liar. Yeah. Pants Pants on on fire. fire. Oh, he probably got burned really badly. That's not fun. No, I'm sorry about that, but it's too delicious not to. No, no, it's it, it says that he's okay in the article. And our final shout out goes to Alex, who says, hey, guys, love your show. Thank you, Alex. And I'm living here in Denver, and it's a place ripe with conspiracies. We have the murals at the Denver International Airport, lots Mm. of weird stuff there, the Stanley Hotel, and NORAD. Ooh, that's one I'd like to delve into. Uh, I'd love to hear a show about some of these, so keep up the great work. Best, Alex. Thank you, Alex, and good suggestions. Yeah. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Rich. And thank you, Jessica. I've got to ask, have you guys been to Colorado? Never once in my life. I have not either. I, Although I actually just reconnected with an old friend from youth group uh, who lives in Colorado and was very kind to offer a couch to crash on anytime I want to come visit and spoke very highly of the uh, the place. Aww. That's awesome. I, I have only been to the airport, so I don't know if you can if you can count just going to an airport as going to a place. I don't know if you can. The Denver airport? Yeah. Did you see all the weird murals yeah, and man, stuff? It's, it's, Is it wild? It's weird and it it's creepy like i see why it is off-putting to people uh but the blue I, horse <laughs> and listeners if you're not familiar the denver airport has some very unusual dark kind of mm-hmm. uh imperialistic looking imagery yeah where there's like these kind of like 
big centurion figures wearing gas masks, swinging sabers, mm. and then there's like this line of emaciated children and, and like refugees, coffins. and it's very, very dark. Look it up. Maybe we'll do one on that. It might not be a whole episode's worth, but it might be worth fitting into something about unusual murals mm-hmm. and art uh, across the world. And we do have a video uh, from earlier, right? In yes, our we do. Conspiratorial career. Speaking of video, the uh, we have to make the announcement now. Can we just do it? Because yeah. it's going out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's happening. It's so, all happening. So was it in September of last year when we went to the Guidestones? It yeah. was a while ago. Yeah. Wow. We went to the Georgia Guidestones in mm-hmm. Elberton, Georgia, or nine miles from Elberton, Georgia. Yeah. And we we shot the stones. We discussed with Noel uh, his personal relationship with uh, the granite. The three of us almost got uh, heat stroke. I have a personal relationship with granite. That's true. Mm-hmm. Um, like uh, a rock. And an awesome older gentleman named Wyatt, who you uh, who had a talk with, several talks with, and uh, he has a uh, an even closer relationship to the granite. <laughs> Again, no sleep here. No sleep till Brooklyn. Oh, okay, yes. So the reason why there's no sleep is because I've been up for the past three nights, uh, past 2 a.m. working on this thing. These guys have been writing and inter- like we interviewed Noel for this thing and we're using a bunch of his footage. Ben has just been writing his, uh, took us off to make this thing happen. And we're so excited that it's finally coming out. Well, and it's, you know, you've noticed that we haven't been doing the weekly videos lately and we've been getting a lot of questions as to whether they're coming back or not. And we've been kind of beating around the bush about it a little bit, but this is our first real kind of long form piece. And we are so proud of it. Um, I personally am just insanely proud of Matt. He's done such an incredible job. We kind of watched the whole thing for the mo- most. You haven't even, yeah, it's a couple I, of days ago. I and since it. then he's, he's, he, I don't even know, but it was looking phenomenal. It's really a heartfelt story. There's a lot of interesting twists and turns, things you might not have heard about yet, um, even if you're familiar with the story, even if you listen to our podcast on it. So go back, check out the podcast, and be on the lookout. Where's it going to be, Matt? So, yeah, the main thing here is that it's going to be on Amazon Video. So you can stream it on Amazon. If you have a Prime account, it'll be uh, commercial-free. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a Prime account, there might be a commercial or two in there, but uh, it's going to be worth it. I guarantee it. Yes, uh, yeah. yes. We're hopefully going to put it on YouTube as well right. after a little while. And for everyone who has listened to our earlier audio episode on the Georgia Guidestones, don't worry, this is different enough that we promise you won't feel like you're sitting through the same thing with pictures. Uh, we we took a different approach. Uh, if you are a fan of our classic stuff they don't want you to know videos, you like this one. It'll be worth your time. We hope that you enjoy it as much as we have. So let us know what you think. You can also uh, find us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, where we are Conspiracy Stuff and Conspiracy Stuff Show on our Instagram. You can listen to every single audio episode we have ever done at Deep Breath. <sighs> Stuff they don't want you to know dot com. Oh boy. Last point of business. Um, in this month of this year, we're participating in this thing called Tripod, T-R-Y Pod, wherein we recommend a, a podcast that we would like you to try. Um, the hashtag Tripod is being used all around 
for people to uh, share their favorite shows with their friends and for shows to share their favorite shows with their audiences. Um, so you guys, do you want to do one? What's a, what's a favorite uh, podcast of yours? Well, I want to kind of do an internal shout out really fast mm. for Stuff of Life. Hey, oh. congratulations to you, Noel Brown. Well, thank you. Yeah, we just launched season two of the Stuff of Life with Julie Douglas. It's a show that I produce and it's um, our most kind of soundscaped uh, sort of like audio journey kind of show mm-hmm. in the style of like Radio Lab a little bit. Um, and really proud of it. We've got an episode up now called Broken and that's going to be dropping Wednesdays um, for 11 episodes. So we're doing another yeah. season of that. Um, yeah, try that one for sure. That would help me out a lot. I'd love <laughs> to hear your thoughts. And, you know, actually this, this season is a little darker than the last season and it's got a little more of a political angle to it um, with some of the stuff that's been going on in the news right now. Stuff so of Life. It's called The Stuff of Life. You can get it on iTunes, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, pretty much all the places. And then let us know what you think. But um, yeah. It ben, broke my heart. I listened to the first three minutes and 50 seconds yeah. and I was crying my eyes out oh, over man. here while I was trying to edit. Well, that's probably because you were lacking the sleep, but thank you very much. It is, we did put our, our hearts into it and got a lot of original music by myself and uh, Dylan Fagan and um, a buddy of mine, Tristan McNeil, who makes incredible ambient music under the name Nude with Lyre, L-Y-R. You can find that on Spotify as well. Stuff of life, a sincere, heartfelt hug for your ears. It's a heart smart journey into the heart of darkness. Heartily so. Well, I've got another quick one, if that's okay. Please. Uh, shout out to the church of what's happening with Joey Coco Diaz. I learned about this gentleman. He's a comedian, been around the block so many times that I don't even, I'm not even sure that he knows like what street he's on anymore. He's incredible, hilarious. Um, he, has a lot in common with my wife, like from the area in Jersey where he grew up. And he's, he's just hilarious. And that's the end of this classic episode. If you have any thoughts or questions about this episode, you can get into contact with us in a number of different ways. One of the best is to give us a call. Our number is one eight three three S T D W Y T K. If you don't want to do that, you can send us a good old fashioned email. We are. Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. 
Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax. Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com.